0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candace Gibson, joined by staff writer Jane McGrath. Hey, Candace. Like I do every every Thursday when we have this podcast, I drink my morning coffee out of my Thomas Jefferson mug <laughs> so I can find a way to bring something about Thomas Jefferson into whatever we are talking about. And one of the principles that our country was founded on is the separation of church and state, and Jefferson was a really strong advocate of that. And I think today, issues arise every now and then where the line between church and state is a little mm-hmm. bit blurred. I guess a couple of years ago, one of the debates was prayer in schools. Should there be prayer in public schools? And that was a church and state sort of issue. And and I think for the most part, people would agree that the separation is, is a good thing or a, a mediocre thing, depending on which side of the debate you fall. But if we look back at medieval Europe... Mm-hmm. We see really strong proof that separating church and state is an excellent idea. Because when
1: it's not, and the church is corrupt, and the church controls the state, things go to hell. That's true, and especially the Spanish Inquisition, which I can't believe you connected Thomas Jefferson to, but you did it. um. It's like six degrees of Kevin Bacon. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Or Um. seven? Yeah. Um, It's often grouped together with the crusades, I think, of like just dark periods in the church's history in particular of, you know, and and that too is sort of like it's it's a combination of the political state and religion. And people say that, you know, like horrible atrocities came about because these were too close and because there were abuses because the political state was taking liberties and using religion against the people.
0: I think you're right, Jane. I think that there are a lot of similarities between the Crusades and the Spanish Inquisition. And one of the main reasons is that the church was using the argument that God was on its side. Mm -hmm. And who are the monarchs to buck the church when the church is essentially a direct agent of God?
1: That's right. Yeah. And also in connection to the Crusades... I, I think it often gets oversimplified in history class uh, for a lot of reasons. But you know, when you look, at, you take a close look at it, and not all of the actors who were involved had uh, quite as like the bad motives that that are associated. And um, it's just interesting to take a look back at the myth surrounding the Inquisition and compare that to the reality that happened.
0: That's true. And if you want to boil the Inquisition down to a basic point, it was a movement about purging. Mm -hmm. And that may be a rather harsh word. We can certainly think of a lot of other historical movements that were about purging or cleansing a population of a certain type of people. And it wasn't necessarily that the Spanish Inquisition was after one particular opposing religion. They mm-hmm. went after Jews and Muslim Moors and, and Protestants and Lutherans specifically.
1: They were after anyone who would upset the status quo. That's right. And it's interesting to see like, the original, the, the purpose of the Inquisition was really to only go after uh, go after is a bad term, but to uh, to question Catholics themselves and not any other religion, because the idea is you don't want heresy inside your own religion. Right. The Catholic Church was looking was looking at it from you know one app a bad apple spoils the whole bunch bunch sort of thing. But then it started um. Getting involved because uh, all these other religions were being persecuted in Spain at the time. And so they were basically more or less forced to convert. And then all these problems came in with the imposition. Right, because when you have
0: people converting to a religion on the basis of fear, and yeah. especially fear of death or fear of um, being extradited, you, you have to assume maybe that they're not converting with a sincere faith in your God. They're doing it so that they're not killed and they're, and they're not expelled from your country. But before we go any further, let's, let's give y'all a framework here. So we're talking about Spain and specifically around the 11th through the 19th centuries. And, uh, also it it might help if we define heretic in terms Mm -hmm. of the Spanish Inquisition. And, uh, a heretic essentially was someone who was declaring beliefs that went against the Catholic Church in public. So I, mean, I guess you could be a heretic in your own home, but mm-hmm. if you weren't in a public forum or a public place talking about, we these, prove it yeah. right, mm-hmm. then you could, you know, be a private heretic. So public declaration <laughs> of beliefs. Uh, secondly, you had to have been approached by a member of the church who had tried to educate you on the fallacy of your beliefs, and you would have had to have made a stand that you would not renounce. beliefs that's
1: right and um we should also put this in context in the fact that it's called the spanish inquisition because there's actually more more inquisitions than the spanish one and like there's one in portugal there was a roman inquisition which was famous actually if you probably heard of how uh galileo uh was kind of persecuted for his ideas of the uh, earth revolving around the sun
0: blasphemous
1: yes exactly (laughs) and that that happened happened uh it had to do with the Roman Inquisition. And so if you think of the Spanish Inquisition in relation to everything else, it, it's sort of seen as the most intense Inquisition.
0: It is, because
1: they were they were after these
0: heretics who also, and there's two more points we should touch on, mm-hmm. uh, who were trying to spread their beliefs to other people. And lastly, who were possessed of their own free will and, and not of the devil. And I guess for me, when I think of heretics and, and purging out... Uh, heresy from a confined group of people. The thing that comes to mind is the Salem witch trials. But yeah, in that instance, we know that those, those girls were possessed either by the devil or, um, mm-hmm. maybe even it's a, a type of, yeah, yeah, type <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> kind of a moldy grain. Who knows? Uh-huh. But, um, in Spain at this time, it was much more about preserving the authority of the church and of the monarch. Mm-hmm. And also, it was a little bit mercenary too, because the, the bright side for the financial, aspect of the Inquisition was that when someone was accused of heresy, he or she was... Conf- uh, all of his belongings were confiscated.
1: Right. So, sort of muddles the motivations of the people who are accusing. Again, like a flashback to the Crusades. Right. Monetary measures. Yeah. yeah, and it's interesting. There are all these motivations involved. The religious... Uh, trying to purge out heretics. Um, political, you know, the the monarchs at the time were Ferdinand and Isabella, and they were staunch Catholics, and they used the Inquisition partly to just unify control of the country and secure their power there. And as you said, the financial motivations. And this all mixed in very well, which was what was going on at the time, which is a growing uh, sentiment of anti- anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. So um, once these uh, Jews were being persecuted in Spain, and some were basically forced to convert, it was very easy for the people to start accusing Jews of not being true Catholics. It
0: definitely. And in 1492, Ferdinand and Isabella, they were up to other things, too. As, as you all recall, Right. Columbus on his merry way that same year as well. But he issued the Alhambra decree, and that ordered all the Jews out of Spain. Mm-hmm. And we talked earlier about how some would convert to Catholicism so that they could stay. Right. But they were not welcomed by other members of the Catholic Church. and. We should also give you guys an idea of of how these inquisitions were carried out. And Pope Gregory... Began, I'm sorry, Pope Gregory Eleventh. You might want to know which Roman numeral followed his name. He began the sort of grassroots movement of the Inquisition back in 1231, which was a long time before uh, the Alhambra Decree. But it started with the establishment of these tribunals. And he picked theologians from the Dominican order who were very, very educated, uh, well-versed in the Bible. They knew it backwards and forwards. So he, a long time ago, set up the precedent that these tribunals are very religious people, very mm-hmm. smart smart. smart people would be able to
1: interrogate and
0: ask questions and trick and fool people into confessing.
1: That's right. Because these Dominicans were so well versed in detailed, obscure theology, they could easily like ask a question, like if it was a Dominican who was really going after someone like with bad motivations, they could really um, ask a very obscure question and be like, well, what would you say about this? And if they happened to give the wrong answer, the Dominicans could say, well, that's not technically true. Right. Or the
0: question itself, whether it was about uh, Bible knowledge that the right. Jews might not have had, or, or the Moors or someone else, the question itself could be so obtuse, no one in their right mind could answer it. Mm-hmm. And that was the upper hand. So we know the type of people who are conducting the Inquisitions. We know who's under the Inquisition, who's being, I guess, inquired after. And we also know that it was sort of a... A constantly evolving process. We see the Jews being really persecuted in the 15th century, and then we see uh, when Spain conquers Granada, it's doing the same thing to the Moors, and then in the 16th century, they're going after the Protestants. So it's like this continuing cycle of, well, yeah. who, who can we you know, bring into this fold next? Yeah,
1: and I think it's interesting about the Jews in particular, because anti-Semitism started uh, way back, I'd say, in the 14th century, and a lot of this stemmed from the plague, actually. Uh, the Bionic Plague, uh, Jews were often and blamed for this because i've heard the theory that jews kept more cats and so their cats would mm-hmm. kill rats which carried the fleas that carried the plague. the plague so um it it showed that um it seemed to many people that less jews were dying of the plague so people blamed the jews for like you know, for causing it. And uh, so this fed a lot of anti-Semitism. And then by about 1348, uh, and then again in 1391, uh, there were violent attacks and basically massacres. They're called pogroms um, against Jews in Spain. And the
0: difficult thing about being brought to one of these tribunals – if you were a Jew or a Moor or a Lutheran, is that you had to testify on your behalf. If you did not testify, it was automatically assumed that you were were guilty Mm -hmm. of heresy. And the scary thing is that you could be brought before a tribunal and not told what the charge was. And also, you didn't know who else was going to be testifying against you. And you didn't have a lawyer or anyone else to help you in your case. And the same people who were conducting the Inquisition were also the ones who... Issued the punishment. That's right. So
1: it was, it was a very corrupt matter and a very corrupt state of affairs. And another important term to remember when you're talking about the Inquisition in history is uh, auto de fe, I believe it's uh, pronounced. Mm-hmm. Uh, these were famous ceremonial uh, sentencing of heretics. And what happened was it was elaborate and spectacular, like procession and a mass. And then you give an oath of obedience to the Inquisition. And then there was a sermon. And then at the end, they read the sentences to, uh, to give to the heretics. And although they didn't actually um, serve, they didn't actually punish them and carry out the sentences at this ceremony. Uh, A lot of people later associated them all together. So a lot of people associate the Inquisition
0: with torture. And I think that that certainly is one of the lasting legacies of the Spanish Inquisition, that, you know, that sort of rapid fire questioning and then also the torture that accompanied it. But you should know and be clear on the fact that torture didn't really become a part of the Inquisition until around 1252. And that mm-hmm. was when Pope Innocent IV issued a bull that permitted torture to extract confession from the supposed heretics.
1: That's right. And I was reading historian uh, Helen Rawling. She was arguing that, um, you know, although the Inquisition associated with torture and the death penalty, they only basically, almost exclusively, implemented these things in the first two decades of the Inquisition. And she compares this to other countries in Europe at the time, like. Uh, England and around Germany, where they were burning heretics f- for much longer time, up until the 1600s. And we
0: know from the secret Vatican records that were released a hundred years after. All the Inquisition activities had ended. We know that there was actually just a very small percentage of of heretics who mm-hmm. died, and I think that Pope John Paul uh, II made this clear in 1998. He gave a, a speech to talk about, you know, reparations and, and working past all of this and understanding, you know, the, the proper lasting legacy of the Catholic Church. And I think he pointed out that about and uh, forty thousand accused heretics, maybe a zero point one, were actually killed.
1: Yeah, I've heard that stat, and. Uh, it's interesting, you know, I, I all these historians are coming out in the 20th century if you look at the, the timeline of this and they're starting to question the myth surrounding the Inquisition and all the propaganda, basically. And historians are, are saying, like, uh, a lot of this is exaggerated. Um, the torture and everything that happened with the Inquisition is exaggerated because of partly the Protestant Revolution, it, like anti-Catholicism mm-hmm. propaganda, and also just political enemies of Spain. You know, an anti-Spain sentiment would exaggerate this as well. And um, if you just consider it in context compared to other things that were going on, it's just interesting to see the the myth that uh, is really central of the Spanish Inquisition that it was like the worst thing uh, happening, and nothing uh, that horrible has ever happened, you know, anywhere else. When really, it's it's not that it's not that simple.
0: And I think that the main purpose, really, we we mustn't forget, is that the the members of the Inquisition they, they wanted a confession from the supposed heretics so that right. they could bring them back into the the church community, essentially, they mm-hmm. didn't want anyone to have wandered off the path, as it were, yeah, it was because they were a threat to the status quo of authority, yeah. but also you know they were believers, and they really did believe that yeah, this
1: would people, save their souls, this would save their soul, yeah
0: exactly, so yes, it may have been about money,
1: yes, it may have been about power, but it was also about looking out for one 's fellow man right, and some contemporary opinions of the time, like some were to- totally for it, saying like this will save their souls, and we need to take these harsh actions, but some others are more sympathetic, and even from a logical standpoint, they saw. Um, how counterproductive it was to to be so um, harsh and uh, persecute people like Jews and that would drive them to exile which would basically put them in a position of like they would never be exposed to Catholicism exactly. they would never be converted and so you know there were different opinions at the time too that were more sensible. So those heretics who did stay
0: and who did confess, whether they actually were heretics or whether they were confessing because they'd been tortured or, or questioned to the point of confessing, they were given penances and some of them mm-hmm. were as simple as wearing, well, maybe not simple as the right word to use, but they were given penances like wearing really heavy crosses around their necks or yeah. they were made to go on pilgrimages and others were forced to stay in prison. But I think that the legacy of torture that endures in regards to the Spanish Inquisition is because the, the torture and And pardon my my glee with saying this. I was just it was so amazing and just creatively constructed. I mean, I know that's a crazy thing to say, but you look at some of these crazy
1: look in your eyes. I know, I know. (laughs) I'm
0: just glowing thinking about it. But you look at some of these devices that they used, like the rack and thumb screws and Mm -hmm. and burning coals on people's bodies. I mean, this is the stuff that that horror movies and, you know, like, bodice-ripping historical dramas are made of. This is what people want to remember about history, I think. It's true. It's more dramatic. And it is. It's simpler to reduce the Spanish Inquisition down to a person being stretched across a rack and their Mm -hmm. joints being pulled in opposite directions to the point where their ligaments snap and their bones come out of their sockets. Right. I'm just saying. (laughs) It is one way to think of the Spanish Inquisition. (laughs) But it should not be the only way. Yeah. So whether my um, all of a sudden bloodthirstiness has intrigued you for more details or you want to know more about the Catholic Church and the Reformation, uh, Medieval England or Ferdinand and Isabella in Columbus, be sure to check out HowStuffWorks.com. And if you have any questions for Jane and me, please email us at podcast at HowStuffWorks.com.